This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 27th day of October 2023. I think this is our last weekend before the start of Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We set our clocks back an hour Next Saturday night, um, I don't understand why we keep swapping back and forth. I know they started this to uh, the, the whole daylight saving time thing to help out the farmers, and then it was uh, uh, we had the oil, the oil crisis and uh, or the gas shortage here in the United States back in the seventies, and uh, there's a lot of call for us to just go back to one time. It just doesn't seem to make any sense to me, but whatever, I you know. Uh, but uh, anyway, so our last uh, our last weekend uh, before the st- sun starts setting, much much earlier. God, by the time the winter time comes, we're like the sun's uh, at least up north. You know, f- like four o'clock. It's dark. Uh, so the Boston Bruins last night laid an egg. They had an opportunity to have the best start in the 100-year history of the Boston Bruins. They lose to the Anaheim Ducks 4-3. to What makes this worse, it isn't necessarily the loss. What makes it worse is the Bruins had a two-goal lead with two minutes to play in this game. It was insane. And it, and it started kind of a little bit earlier than that, about two minutes earlier. Uh, they took a penalty uh, with four minutes to go. And the Ducks pulled their goalie at the time. They didn't score, but the Bruins were back on their heels. And they just – and then after the penalty expired, the Bruins never really recovered. And Anaheim kept the pressure on for the entire final two minutes, including, by the way, then the overtime. I think the Bruins touched the puck, uh, had possession of the puck once. It lasted about maybe 20 seconds. Outside of that, Anaheim had the uh, the possession uh, for the entire two, two minutes and eight seconds of the overtime period. It was crazy. Uh, Mason McTavish ended it with the goal in overtime. So instead of going seven and zero as they should have, a team that they already had already beaten once, uh, they are six zero and one with that overtime loss. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, uh, their coach Jim Montgomery not happy, called it inexcusable, and and he and he had a good point. You know, part of the problem with the Bruins last night was, and you see this a lot. Your team will pull their goalie. And guys, instead of trying to make a smart clear, will try to go for the empty net, and uh, that often doesn't work. And and as you know, Montgomery pointed out last night, he said, you know, instead of going for the open net, how about we use the walls, you know, to clear and get you know get off the ice. He said, you know, but that's the thing. He said we just didn't do that, and we had some opportunities earlier to extend the lead, didn't do that either. So just a tough loss. 
But look, uh, nobody thought the Bruins were going to uh, start this way with all the players that they lost, with Patrice Bergeron uh, retiring. Uh, everybody just thought that, you know, that they might be lucky to make the playoffs. I think they're better than that. I think this team has more uh, firepower than people think. James Van Riensdyk has been a great addition to this team. Uh, Patra, I, I, you know, look, the young kid Patras, they, they didn't think he was even going to make the team. And I think uh, he's 18 years old. But he's got three goals already. He's already got a couple of assists. He's one of the leading scorers for the Bruins in the first seven games. I think they have to keep him. And he's proven to be an asset. I mean, the only thing he's got to work on is face-offs. But uh, I think this Bruin team is going to be a little bit better than people think. But that was just a brutal loss. Brutal loss last night. Uh, well, we weren't on the air the last couple of days when the word came down that uh, the Red Sox had officially hired Craig Breslow. And uh, I'm happy with the hire. There's a lot of people questioning it. Uh, Chris Gasper in the uh, Boston Globe this morning uh, or yesterday morning kind of had a disparaging thing about what are the Red Sox doing. You know, basically what you've done is you've hired Bloom 2.0, another guy that uh, – and actually maybe a step down from Bloom because Bloom had more responsibility with Tampa than Craig Breslow did in Chicago. You know, the one knock on Breslow is that he was the number three man on the totem pole in baseball operations in Chicago, behind Jed Hoyer, behind the general manager. And not only that, Breslow did most of the work from his home in Newton, Massachusetts. He would fly into uh, Chicago uh, periodically, but outside of that, he'd always work from home. So people are saying that, you know, he doesn't even have as much experience. But I, here's why I think Craig Breslow is the right guy. And, and I alluded to this, you know, prior to the, the signing becoming official. I think that baseball now is all about analytics, right? And you know how I feel about analytics. One thing that's been nice is we've seen in these playoffs, by the way, you know, some managers, old, you know, old-time managers willing to go with their gut and not necessarily go with the analytics. We saw Bruce Bochy do it. Uh, successfully, we saw Dusty Baker do it. Uh, Tori Lavulo, not so much, but uh, but I thought that you know it's it's nice to see. Well, the one thing Craig Breslow will do, I think, is that he, I think, is going to be able to strike a balance between knowing the analytics and knowing the player. Because make no mistake about it, it takes a special kind of person to play in Boston, to play in New York, right, to play in Philadelphia or Chicago, to play in places where fans are rabid. You could say over the top, whatever you want to say. There's no doubt that uh, you need to have the right person. If you remember with the Red Sox, Pablo Sandoval, right, not the right person to play in Boston. It just wasn't. Uh, Carl Crawford, remember that disaster? Uh, how about Adrian Gonzalez? Remember him? I mean, those were guys that just never got it. And the Sox had to get them the hell out of there. It, they were just a disaster. I think Craig Breslow is going to know that person. Look, he played there, right? He played there, won a couple of World Series there. This is a guy that played with David Ortiz and, and, and Dustin Pedroia. You know, this is a guy that knows the market that knows the fan base, that understands the media is going to be up your derriere 24-7.
A lot of people don't get that. I don't think Bloom knew what he was in for. He can say whatever he wants. He didn't get it. And Pete Abraham made a great point in the Boston Globe about uh, Breslow. Breslow, if you want to look for a um, an example of who Breslow could be, think Chris Young. Chris Young, who is now the general manager of the Texas Rangers, who are in the World Series. Chris Young is the same kind of guy like Craig Breslow, who pitched in the major leagues for a long time, understands the clubhouse, understands the media, uh, understands going to these big-time cities and what it takes. And I think Craig Breslow can be that kind of guy, not to mention he's brilliant. Uh, the one thing, and Pete Abraham points this out, and, and I agree, uh, what they might want to do is get him some kind of an advisor that was a general manager in the past and uh, get him to uh, just use him to bounce things off of. There's too many guys in that Red Sox front office that have been there too long. That's the one problem that I think he's going to have to navigate is with guys like Eddie Romero and uh, Raquel Ferrara and people that have just been there forever. There's, you know, there's this entrenched kind of uh, culture and feeling, and it might be hard for Craig to to break through that. So getting an outsider that's got experience would be a great idea. I was thinking about somebody like, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this is the guy, but get somebody like a Jim Bowden, right, who works for Major League Baseball Network now. Somebody like that who's been a GM that understands everything and is coming into the Red Sox as an outsider and can kind of help Breslow navigate that noise. You know, I'm not saying that, that, you know, Jim Bowden's the guy. I'm just saying somebody along those lines. Um, I, I, I have, uh, I have great optimism that he's going to do just fine. Uh, and, uh, Dusty Baker retired. We saw that, uh, came on the heels of the Breslow announcement, uh, 74 years old, going to step away uh, from managing, but he said he's not done with baseball. He said he still thinks he still has, uh, something to give back to the game, whether that's in a front office advisory capacity or whatever. But he did make a comment of uh, when he attended Hank Aaron's funeral in 2021. He said he went home and talked to his wife and said, you know, because uh, he heard people talking about how he, Hank Aaron had helped out with their college education and how he had affected their lives in different ways. And Dusty Baker went home to his wife and says, I don't feel like I've done anything. Now, I, you know, I... I I tend to disagree. I mean, the guy who was the first black manager in baseball to manage uh, to win 2,000 games and uh, a guy that uh, imparted a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience to a lot of players, I'm not sure that I would agree with that, but I think he's talking about maybe um, a little bit off the field. And so he said that he wants to try to find a way uh, to impact people's lives. And he said, he says, I'm not sure what it's going to be, but it's going to be good. So good for him and good for Dusty Baker, by the way, and being able to go out on his terms, right? Uh, they missed the World Series by a game, but, you know, they won a world title while he was there. This is a guy that got fired by the Washington Nationals after winning 97 games back in 2017. Didn't think he'd ever manage again, got a chance with Houston, now can walk away. Uh, a classy guy and uh, good for him. Good for him. And, of course, the World Series starts tonight. Uh, Nate Evaldi. Uh, for the Rangers, Zach Gallen for the Arizona Diamondbacks. George W. Bush going to throw out the first pitch, the former Texas Rangers owner. Um, if Arizona wins this, and I don't think they will. I think Texas wins this, but I didn't think Arizona was getting here to begin with. They backed into the playoffs. But if they win this, they would have they would become the champion 
with the second fewest wins in history behind the St. Louis Cardinals of 2006 that only won 83 games. Arizona won 84 this year. Uh, so, but you know, and and like I said, you know, everybody's like, "Hey, you shouldn't be here." Well, guess what? They are. But I still think the Texas Rangers uh, have the horses, and I think the only question to me is who's the who's going to be the World Series MVP? Is it going to be Avaldi? Is it going to be Adolis Garcia? Can he do what he did to the uh, 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 you know in in the in the uh, ALCS in the AL Division Series? Can can he repeat that? Or will it be somebody like Corey Seager or Marcus Simeon? You know, I mean, that's, I, I think the Rangers win it. I think they win it probably in six. Uh, but I think Texas will become uh, – will get their first World Series championships, one of just six teams in Major League Baseball to never having, uh, never having won one. It's 18 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano is going to join us to talk NFL football. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, and as we are every Friday, we are thrilled to be joined by our NFL guru, Dan Zampano. Dan, how are you, my friend? Uh, we're already up to week eight. We're just we're not quite at the halfway pole, but pretty close. Can you believe it? I mean, it's just, it, it, it. I tell you, it flies by so fast. It's the quickest season in any of the professional sports. Unlike the sport that's in the World Series right now, it has the perfect amount of games. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, um, four and three week for you last week. Uh, so you're still you're still over five hundred, but a couple of tough ones last week. And but let's start off with the game I didn't even have you pick because I thought they had a snowball's chance in hell, and that is the New England Patriots pulling the shocker of the week last week, beating the Buffalo Bills. Break this one down mm-hmm. for me. Uh, look, a, a couple of things. I mean, um, Mac Jones put together a drive when he needed to put together a drive, and the offensive line I thought was absolutely outstanding last week. Yeah, I, I think they went, and uh, it's like Halloween weekend. So right before, I think they just like went in the mystery machine and unmasked a bunch of ghouls that Scooby Doo found and found a football <laughs> team. I mean, that was literally it. I mean, isn't isn't that crazy? I mean, where did that come from? I yeah. mean, it was awful for for four weeks in a row, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we realized that Demario Douglas should get the ball. Oh, we realized that you know our offensive line, like Mike Onwenu, maybe at right tackle, sounds like a good idea. The defense and and Gene, let's put precedent where precedent is. Josh Allen has owned the Patriots. Oh yeah. And this was the first time that they actually attacked him. The Patriots blitzed him more than any time this year of any team that's blitzed him before. I mean, yep. they went after him. They didn't sit back. They didn't try to, you know, kind of hold and get them to the red zone and try to beat them there. Like, they went after it. You could see from the first moment. And, Gene, they played from ahead instead of playing from behind. Right. They, that was so huge. They went down the field, got a field goal. Jabril Peppers gets the pick on the first play of the game. And we're rocking and rolling up ten nothing, and it's like, whoa! Like, where did that come from? And right. you know, I think I think one of the big things too is like the Patriots took care of the ball. I mean, until the end of the game, but I mean, right. But still, that was that was a huge thing that the Patriots actually like didn't turn the ball over. They almost had Mac almost threw that interception right before the born fumble. Right. But the biggest thing of all, Gene, is that we discovered that Mac Jones does have it in him to go down the field. It was. May I say, 
Brady-esque Ooh. to do that let's drive not, at the get, end. You know, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, you know, if Tom Brady did that, we'd all be taking our yeah. pants off, wouldn't we? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 You're right. it's Mac Jones. That's fair. Let's give him his flowers yep. for this week. Now, can he do it again is the question mark, obviously. But give credit where credit is due. They pressured Josh Allen. Josh Allen was very rattled in the game. I thought the wind also helped them. Yep. And the defense held long enough to be able to give the Patriots a chance. It was incredible. I felt alive again, Gene. Well, I tell you what. I think the thing that impressed me the most was the fact that when they were up 22-10 to 10 midway through the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden they're not anymore, I went, uh-oh, here we go. Great effort for like three and a half quarters and mm-hmm. you know you just you just saw that one going in the in the L column, and to have them do what they did on that final drive, uh, eight plays, seventy five yards in in a minute and what forty seconds, unbelievable. I mean that's and because that to me that that's the first thing, you know I couldn't watch the game live first of all because I'm down here with my tin can internet. So even if I wanted Sunday ticket, <laughs> I can't stream anything. So I'm like I'm like switching back and forth and looking at highlights everywhere and the fact that they came back and won this game. Look, I don't want to get carried away. I know Mac Jones had a great day. I know he made a great drive, but he's got to back that up this week and it's <laughs> it's not going to be easy um, against the Dolphins. Well, I think I think one of the things that we saw too was like the throws that he made on that drive. Yeah. They were not just like, oh, he's got a clean pocket. Like he was under pressure, yep. throwing to guys that were covered, yep. and fitting balls into keyholes. Now, was he rifling them in? No. Was he kind of pea shooting them? Sure. Right. But they were some really great throws that he made down the stretch that were like, whoa, kids got a little moxie, kids got a little juice. He was getting upset at some of the receivers. He reminds you of like Dan Marino, the way he gets upset, right? With 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 people like he he gets nasty with his receivers and it's like where does that come from but you kind of see it like he plays with a little bit of edge a little bit of fire and sure like he maybe he doesn't have the the credit cash that he he should have to do some of that stuff but you know neither do the receivers right so (laughs) you know mac jones is starting right mac jones is starting to lead a little bit and i kind of like it um you know the, the and Here's how bad things have gotten for Mac Jones with Patriot fans. Even when he has a good game, they f- try to find ways to, like, rain on his parade. Like, they're talking about, oh, you know, well, he threw a, a screen pass to Ramondre Stevenson who, who you know, who did everything. It wasn't at Mac Jones. It was Ramondre oh, Stevenson. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. You know, if this was the Miami Dolphins and they threw a little slant pass across the middle to Tyreek Hill and he ran for 60 yards, they're not killing Tua because Tyreek Hill gained 60 yards. But that's how things have come with Mac Jones. I think unless he comes out there and, like, has a day where he throws for 400 yards and is throwing the ball 50 yards down the field, nobody's going to be happy. Yeah, no one's going to be happy. And I think I think I'm probably still in the camp of, okay, Mac probably isn't the savior or the franchise quarterback yet. Right. But – he he definitely has a chance to regain that. Like you have to you have to give credit where credit is due. If he comes out and just balls out for the rest of the year, I think there's he's justified to get another year mm-hmm. and another crack at this. Like no question about it. And I think one of the other things too is like 
we kind of found out that Bill Belichick is, oh. you know, it's it's really up to Bill. Yeah. You know, that's really, well, it, it really sounds like that's what's going to be the case. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, you said give credit where credit is due. I thought one of the things that was interesting was after the game, uh, Mac Jones was giving credit to his offensive coordinator. They were like, what's different? Bill, yeah. O'Brien, Bill O'Brien was different, and that's you know, and, and he had a he kind of he kind of gave him more stuff that, that gave him plays that he was more comfortable with stuff that he ran kind of similar to what he ran when he was in college, and he was quick yeah. to, to point to Bill O'Brien, which I thought was great. And Bill O'Brien called a great game. I he mean, did. you have to you have to also let that know like they attacked the middle of the field, they were able to run the football effectively. It was a great balance of air and ground attack like it was it was beautiful you know and that was was beautiful and the Patriots offense has not gone in in (laughs) synonymous words together you know for quite some time (laughs) you're you're not wrong about that and I thought the defense played defense played just as good for about three and a half quarters so yeah give give him credit all right well let's get to the Belichick thing I mean you know the news comes down just before the game that uh there's there's been some secret deal in place that we didn't know about um now Mm. the one thing I will say about this is it says that he has signed a lucrative multi-year contract according to uh, Ian Rappaport but it doesn't say that he signed a multi-year deal to remain the general manager right Right. And, you know, that is true. However, I mean, can you really see a situation where Bill Belichick kind of bends the knee to a GM? Like, I don't see that. Like, it does. It just doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, they would have to bring Um, it. They'd have to bring in somebody really strong for him to even consider that, I guess. I mean, because I imagine I imagine with his contract, I imagine he could walk away and get some kind of a payout out of this. So, you know, right. You know, or maybe maybe he took a pay cut. And that's what. Oh the yeah. Okay. Sure. Is, you know. Like sure. Right. Something like that. Like, who knows, man? I mean, well, they, they haven't. They have, the proof has not been in the pudding the last couple of years. And who are you going to bring in? Obviously, somebody strong. Like, who? Scott Pioli going to come back? That'd Lombardi, be the only guy. Michael that, Lombardi. That'd be like, the only, who, Those would be the guys come? I would think of because those were the guys that were there. You know, uh, that that brought us the the beginning of the dynasty, so to speak. So, you know, th- those would be the only guys I think that could pull it off, right? Yeah, and I just don't see it. I don't think those guys want to do it. You know, the Dimitrovs of the world. Right. You know, I don't see. I think they've got their they've got their hands in other areas now. And I, I don't. I, you know, I know Matt Groh has been you know the kind of go to guy for for Belichick and and Elliot Wolf. It's Ron Wolf's son. Like, there's a lot of executives that that are there that are sons of guys that Al, uh, Bill has been you know coached with their fathers and and was was part of those. So. You know, I, I think that I think that it would be very hard pressed to to put him in that situation. I think Bill is here for at least this year and next. Yep. And uh, you know, I I think it's pretty obvious that they're grooming Gerard Mayo to be the to be the next head coach. I don't think that's I think that's got to be you know Kraft's going to do this in house. And you think about it, Gene. It's like they made such the wrong decision. I mean, they they really did. They let Brady walk. Mm-hmm. And that, that of all of the things is so egregious that this happened instead of bill. And, you know, he trusted bill and for whatever reason he decided, you know, Brady had his own, Brady had his own recourse and Brady had his own, uh, you know, ability 
to, right. to, to go where he wanted instead of just letting Bill go where he wanted. Right. You know, so it was, it, it's just a very strange thing and it, it shouldn't have happened the way it did, but it did. I mean, it's almost in a way, it's almost like you want to say that uh, the Patriots have gotten what they deserved. You know, I mean, I, you hate to put it like that, but, you know, making the decisions they did with, with Brady and it, it just, uh, it backfired. And I guess it, none of us should really be surprised by that, should we? Right. Right. No question. All right. Let's uh, look at a couple other surprises from last week. The uh, And and I want to say, before we talk about this, I want to say, I had you pick this game last week and you picked the Rams to win it. But you did say, before you picked the Rams, you did say, this is a perfect spot for Mike Tomlin because this is a guy who usually, you know, goes on the road as a dog after, you know, and, and you, you even said, I could see this happening. I didn't believe it because you and I talked and I was like, I was really beginning to believe in the Rams. So the fact that yeah. the Steelers won this game blew me away. I mean, if you're a Steelers fan, like you got to have Ajita every week. Yeah. Like you got to be, you got to bring an oxygen tank because you're yeah. watching the first three quarters. Like we're dead, right. we're dead. Yep. There's no way we're yep. done. And then magic, magic just happens. Yeah. Because T.J. Watt just does something unbelievable right. every game. It's like it's like up and down and back and forth. Like you, I, I swear, if you're a Steelers fan in 2023, you have lost 10 years off your life. I mean, it really is true. So it's it's incredible how much this dude impacts the game. Yeah. And their D-line alone impacts the game. It's incredible. And, you know, Stafford got rattled towards the end of that game. And Kenny Pickett made some awesome throws to George Pickens. He did. I mean, that that is, that is definitely the – the uh, going forward, you know, that's going to be the tandem there in Pittsburgh. that's going to lift their boat. Yeah. Yeah. In the end zone. And he has been absolutely God awful. So, you know, I, it was, everything just turned up red for, uh, for Pittsburgh that last week, and that was a great win for them. Yeah. I mean, that it was crazy. I mean, Matthew Stafford was terrible, uh, but is there anybody that can stop Nakua? No. Uh, he's he, it's incredible. He's ridiculous. He, I mean, he's it's I, ridiculous. I mean, it, what, what did I read that he's got like uh, uh, the most receptions in the first seven games? It's an NFL record in his career. Yeah. I mean, he's and, yeah. and, and the funny yeah. part is, you know whose record he broke? Saquon Barkley. I, I don't. That is very strange. Saquon Barkley holds the records for the most catches um, for a player's first eight games. Right, Nakua tied it at fifty-eight, and he's only played seven. But it was Saquon Barkley who held that record. How about that? That's that's a very strange one. And Puka Nakua, I think he's just perfect for that system. Yeah, you know, he is like Cooper Cup two point oh. It's it's like a Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. I, they kind of just go hand in hand. Almost rolls off the tongue when you think about it. <laughs> but the, uh, the the Rams just you know they found another one. Kudos to them. Yeah, but you know the thing is, is the funny part is, is Nakua has made Cooper Cup be like an afterthought. I mean, he had two catches last week. I know, I know, and and think about like think about if they had any semblance of a defense or an offensive line, like they would be, they would be a Super Bowl contender. I'm sorry to say I had to watch this game last week. Um, I had to watch 
the uh, the Denver Broncos and the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> my my lord. Are you okay? <laughs> That was just brutal. Uh, look, uh, what's your take? I mean, is it too early to to pronounce? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to pronounce uh, pronounce sentence, so to speak. But is it too early to say Jordan Love uh, is in over his head? Is it too early to sentence him to quarterback death? That, I mean, yeah, like, what, what? That's kind of where I'm going with it. Well, yeah, like it's way too early. It's way too early. I mean, Aaron Rodgers went six and ten in his rookie year. That's true. That's I mean, fair. in his first year, in his That's first fair. year starting, like, okay. like let's pump the brakes. You know, the, guy's, the guy's playing with every single receiving weapon on his on his team is in his second or first year. Yeah. I mean, think about that. You know, who else has this? It's ridiculous. And and all those guys are injured. And the Green Bay had so many injuries in that game. They lost Savage. They lost Stokes in the secondary. Both of those guys are an IR. They didn't have Jair Alexander. They lost Christian Watson at the end of the game. Devondre Campbell wasn't playing. Like they have so many injuries, and this kid, you know, he almost did. I mean, he went on the road to Denver and on the road to Vegas, and they had chances to win the games. Right. And they kind of screwed it up at the end. And a lot of it, I think, really has to go back to coaching. I don't think Lafleur has been very good at all and putting him in the right spots and like giving him easier stuff. Like it feels like he's love is like ripping balls down the field left and right. When he, when I, I'm not sure that's like the best formula for a young quarterback to get him going. So I, uh, I, I question the coaching and, but I think Jordan love, you, you got to give this kid some time. I, I, the Packers fans are like jumping off bridges because he's, because he's a rookie or he's his first year. Like you got to chill out. You lost to Denver. Sure. But like, you know, this is, you, you got to think that, with all the injuries that you guys have, you guys have had chances to win the games. It just hasn't worked out for you in the end. So I, I'm I'm definitely still fine with Jordan Love being the quarterback. And people that are calling for the Packers to draft one next year, right? You know, I mean, if you if there's a better guy out there that you think is better right now developmentally, like is Drake May better developmentally than Jordan Love? Like that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, well, Drake May's pretty good, but he's still that's he's still playing college football. There's a big difference, so right. I, I don't. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I think some of this is it might just be simple whiplash of of Aaron Rodgers not being there anymore. I think that's the problem. I don't. I don't think Packer fans have completely get gotten over the fact that he's not wearing their uniform anymore. You know? Right. I mean, it's right. kind. Of, I mean, it's like, it's, we saw that in New England, right? Yes. Yes, of course. Like it's, you know, the the season is seven weeks old. Like you have to give this hotel. What if Jordan Love goes out there, and, and all these people are saying now, what if Jordan Love goes out there and throws for two hundred and fifty yards a game, has two touchdowns a game, like, at, like decent quarterback. Like that's not right. crazy. That's just kind of average. Right. And like, is that is that okay with the Packers or like? Like these fans are just getting all fickle. It reminds me of another fan base, of course. But um, you know, it's it, it, like you, you give him some time. He's his first year starting. Right. He's not going to be. Not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. All right. Seven weeks into the season, Josh McDaniel sits on right now. Oh my gosh! I uh, mean, it, I mean, you lose. You lose to, to a, you lose to a Division Two quarterback. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
I mean, good. They, they I, had I, an look, opportunity for, to be four and three, Gene. Yeah, I know, but I mean, and good for the kid. For you know, the, the kid from Chicago, but he he was an undrafted Division two quarterback. And, and they didn't. They didn't just lose. They got embarrassed. They got embarrassed. Yes. I mean, how do you have Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs on your team, and you're the thirtieth ranked team in scoring? Right. Makes like, no sense. It's it blows my mind. I get they had Brian Hoyer in the game. Maybe that's malpractice too. Like, why not let Aiden O'Connell play in the game? You know, yeah. Brian Hoyer is 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 like was there when Moses wore short pants. I mean, that's literally <laughs> what he was just. You know, like that's that's Brian Hoyer. You know, I gotta remember that uh, one. It's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So you know, I I, I don't understand what McDaniel's is doing. It has been totally malpractice. They cannot defend the run. Their rush defense is awful. They cannot run the football yep. with Josh Jacobs. I mean, that's a huge problem. They're the worst rush offense in the league. Right. Like that's that's not good, and that's something that Josh McDaniel's like prided himself on as a coordinator. So it was everything surrounding that, that organization. McDaniels is very, very hot right now. And they're going to get Jimmy G back this week, but I don't know if it's going to matter. I mean, they're playing, they're going to play a real pissed off Lions team. Like, right. That's going to be, that's going to be tough. Best of luck to you. Um, so this turned out to be an entertaining game, uh, but it was, uh, the ending was controversial. The Browns beat the Colts 39-38. The two calls yeah. by the referees, the the uh, the defensive uh, the the non uh, the or the defensive holding and uh, defensive interference penalties at the end, I thought were just brutal. The first one, I think they had a case on. That last one, Dan, the ball was practically thrown into the stands. You know, I mean that yeah. that that ball had no chance to be caught. The fact that, I mean, if you're a Colts fan, you had to be apoplectic watching the end of that game. Oh no question. I think I think the referees have totally forgotten that the ball can be uncatchable. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. like the refereeing this year has been. Like, I know we've complained about referees in the past, but in particular this year, like there have been just some horrible. At the end of that Giants Buffalo game a couple of Sunday nights yep. ago, yep, and that was totally ridiculous. And this is kind of a similar thing. But you know what? I mean, Indianapolis. You know, you, you had thirty-eight points. Yeah. In the game against one of the best defenses in the league, your defense gave up 39 points to P.J. Walker, right. especially at the end of the first half. They gave up 10 points in the final two minutes of the first half. Yeah, But just being plain dumb and making plain stupid decisions coaching-wise, and, you know, that's a product of probably a rookie head coach, but, like, your quarterback's turning the ball over like he's got, you know, like he's got crowbars for arms like we've talked about, you know. Like, he's just, he's just he doesn't know how to hold on to the football. And when he does throw it, he's throwing five-yard interceptions, you know. It's, like, ridiculous. So, you know, I, I, you, can, you can get upset at the referees, sure. But at the end of the day, even if the referee does make a bad call, referees are not, for the 99 percentile of games, referees are not determining the outcome of the game. Like, you could have easily, easily taken care of the football at the end of the first half, and uh, yep, we're not talking fair. about that. That's a good point. You know, I, 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 think the, um, I think the thing that's been noticeable to me this year with the, with the officiating is the guys that are the, uh, the officiating uh, uh, people they have on the, all the, uh, the broadcasts now, 
even they've been killing the guys on the field. Even they've been like, well, yeah. I don't know about that one. <laughs> you know, and usually they're kind of Terry McCauley, Terry McCauley is just like, well, I got to I got to retire maybe. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, you know? it's like but it's usually they're kind of lockstep and say, well, no, I could, this is why they did this. You know, you don't usually see them going against them that often and it seems to become has become right. a common thing this year. It's kind of crazy. Um, no, no question. So, uh Let's talk the Philadelphia Eagles and the Miami Dolphins. Um, one of the things, yes. one one of the things that uh, that jumped out at me when I saw this stat this week, and I had not thought about this. Dolphins have five wins this year, right? And everybody's talking about how great their offense is. Yada yada yada. The combined record for the teams that they have beaten this year, Dan, is eight and twenty-five. <laughs> Five wins against That's teams that are a combined Eagles. eight and twenty-five. Yeah. So That's why I said that's why I said Eagles by two scores. Yeah. Look you, at that. You did. I mean, and and I'm telling you, uh I, I don't know how I missed this. <laughs> the, the, the Dolphins like can't they're not even hanging with people. Not only are they losing to teams that that are good, they're getting they get they're getting the crap beat out of them. Yeah, that defense is that defense is absolutely atrocious. Yeah, you know, and even like like think about it, Gene. The Eagles turned the ball over twice. Jalen Hurts threw them a pick six. Yeah, and they still lost by fourteen points. They scored ten points on offense. Right. Like, and I get their defense is not very good, and they're missing Xavier Howard. They're missing Jalen Ramsey. But I mean, you let AJ Brown do that. Like, I mean, is there a better receiver in football right now than AJ Brown? Like, well, Puka, Puka Nakua. Been, yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe, but AJ Brown. Yeah, he's AJ Brown's yeah. got five five consecutive games of 120 yards receiving. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's just on fire. Yeah, um, you know, and Hertz, you could tell Hertz was not 100 percent in that game. That was like you could tell he's really he's hobbled. Yeah. Uh, but he continues to fight through it. The Eagles got a lot of reinforcements back on defense, and there was no way they were losing on Sunday night with the Kelly Greens right. against a, a soft Miami team. Like there was just no way. So Philly's Philly's good, but I still have questions. Like there's no question. I don't think they're unbeatable, but I think Miami, with some of their injuries now, their offensive line hides behind their scheme. They're not a very good offensive line, mm-hmm. um, and defensively, you know, they don't get any pass rush. They don't. They don't really, you know, defend the pass very well, and uh, certainly not the run. Like the rush defense is nowhere near where it needs to be. So you can you can really run on Miami. The question is, can you keep Tua off the field? The answer is actually yes, because in time of possession, Miami's not very good in time of possession. They just score very quickly. Right. So, but that is predicated on Hill and Waddle being on the field at the same time, and right now both of those players are hurt. So. Um, whether they play or not is a big question, and that's going to change the whole dynamic of of how Miami attacks teams going forward. The other shocker from last week uh, on Monday night: the Vikings pulling off the uh, the Vikings went uh, uh, were a seven point underdog at home, yeah. and and end up beating San Francisco. And uh, now, I mean, and this may have been a much more costly game than the Niners even thought, because uh, it turns out Brock. Purdy has a concussion. Yeah, you know, and and maybe maybe that explains some of Brock Purdy's play uh, in the second half of that game. 
Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, you know, I, I got to think that that probably played into it. Well, you got to think about this. I mean, I think Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football has been maybe the worst quarterback. Yeah, and uh, in the league, and and to, for him to turn in a performance like that against the best defense in football, um, that was incredible. That was absolutely incredible what he did without Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Jordan Addison went in and out of the game for most of the game, but had an incredible game. Yep. Um, but the the problem I think for San Francisco was they turned the ball over very uncharacteristically. Like Christian McCaffrey fumbled. Right. He never. He does never. not fumble very often. No. Um, you know, like Brock Purdy, like you said, there's two really bad interceptions at the end of the game that may be that, you know, little foggy brain maybe from there from the concussion. I don't know. But, um, you know, for the Vikings to do that was pretty unbelievable. However, I do think it was a good spot. I liked the Vikings on the spread. Yep. I didn't pick them to win. I didn't think they were going to win. But, um, but, I mean, I saw some holes in the defense of San Francisco that I didn't love. Uh, I didn't love. You, you cannot let Kirk Cousins throw for it 45 times yeah. and, and, and expect to lose. Almost you know, 400 yards. That yeah, that was, it was right. great. Yeah. You know, well, usually the formula for San Francisco is keeping their offense off the field. It wasn't that time. It and was very strange. Well, and they're usually pretty good at that. You know, and, and I also don't think that you can underestimate how much that San Francisco offense misses having a weapon like Debo Samuel out there. You know, I think I think that makes a difference. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that, but they got Ayuk, they got Kittle, they got McCaffrey, they got they got weapons up the up the yin yang. Yeah. I mean, they really do. So, you know, to have not then I have Debo out there, yes, does it hurt? Sure. But, I mean, they should be able to handle a defense that gets very minimal pressure and blitzes more than anybody in the league. So, you know, it's not a very efficient defense in Minnesota. Right. All right, well, let's get to this week's games. And uh, I didn't have you pick the Patriots game last week because, as I said, I didn't think they had any shot on the, you know, even though they were Well, we hit the spread. Yeah, well, that's true. (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) That'll work. Well, this week they have to go to Miami, and you just got done telling me that that Miami defense is awful. So what does that mean? The Patriots are a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog on the road. Yeah, I think that's too many points. I agree. Um, I, I I think it's a very high number, especially knowing Waddle's back is still not all the way back. His back is still hurt. Tyreek Hill didn't practice yesterday, so um, that's an issue. Um, Raheem Mostert didn't practice yesterday, and they're already down Achan, the rookie. So I don't really know what to make of this game. Part of me wants to still pick Miami because, you know, I feel like to pick the Patriots back-to-back weeks, that would be a really hard task. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's, I mean, yeah. especially now. It used to be just time and memorial we used to right. do that, but not anymore. Um, so this is kind of hard. If Mac has it in him, why not? You know, I'm, I, I, at this point, they're still playing with house money. You're, you got two winnable games the next two weeks. Like, this is really the hardest game we're going to play for a while. Uh, this They might go hard in this game. Now, Miami obviously hasn't been a great place for them. But, you know, I think if they can piece together kind of a similar game plan defensively, what they did with Miami last time, not having to deal with Hill and Waddle at 100% is huge. Mm-hmm. 
and they should be able to move the football. I, I, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to move the football. So, sure, let's go with the Patriots. So you're calling them. Not, this isn't just a cover. This is a flat-out Patriot win. It's a flat-out win. Let's do it. Why not? Upset of the week. All right. Uh, wow. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's get to uh, one of the surprise teams of the year, and that is uh, uh, Houston. Houston has to go on the road. Look, I know this is a bad Carolina team, but Houston's been better than people thought. Look, at the beginning of the season, Dan, uh, you thought Houston was going to be one of the worst teams in the league, and they're not. So do they do they go on the road and and can and keep keep things rolling this week? Look, look, they're well, a, they're a five hundred team. Yeah, I've been eating a lot of C.J. Stroud crow. Yes, you have. I mean, like, you know, C.J. Stroud has proved me wrong. So, uh, you know, give him credit. But Carolina is so bad. I mean, like, they're they're bad. They're worse than bad. Like, they <laughs> they get the least amount. They get the least amount of pressure per game uh, of any team in the league. And the number one quarterback against a clean pocket with no pressure is is C.J. Stroud. Uh, this year, so okay. this is a big. I, I think this is a tough t- task for Carolina, even at home. Uh, I think Houston's just playing well. Like I, I've kind of said it over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of turned around on them. I said, don't be surprised if Houston pushes for the division. I know Jacksonville's playing really well, but don't be surprised if Houston pushes for the division at the end of the year, especially knowing they already beat the Jaguars. Right. So. Uh, this is this is not an unimportant game for them, and plus, C.J. Stroud going to prove why he should have been the number one pick um, against Bryce Young this week. I think he's going to be highly motivated this week. Wow. Okay. Um, do you think Carolina wins a game this year? <laughs> ever a blind squirrel finds a nut? Well, here's here's here's, here's the two here's the two chances I think they have. Uh, sure. They're at Chicago on November the 9th. You got to figure That's they definitely a good chance. You got to yeah. figure they got a shot there, and I also think that there is a chance that they could beat the Falcons at home. Because the Falcons, how many more the division Falcons, games do they have? Uh, it looks like they've got four left, right? So they can win any one of those games. Yeah, because the division, yeah, because the division is not very good. I mean, they have to play at New Orleans, but I think Atlanta, that Atlanta team is a walking turnover. So they are, they know. are. They got a good defense, though. Yeah, they do. So, but anyway, that could be a game they win. So, but they could be looking at the number one pick again. Oh, well, not they don't have it. So, oh, that's right. Unfortunately, they that's gave right. it to Chicago. They, it to Chicago. <laughs> they got oh. nothing. Oh wow, that ooh, that's brutal. That's right. I forgot they they had to give it to Chicago to get it last year, didn't they? Oh wow. Yep. Yes, they did. That's brutal. Yeah, things aren't looking rosy in Carolina for a while. Frank Reich has got to be saying, what in the hell did I want this job for? Yeah, what did I walk into? All right, Absolutely. now here's an interesting game. Pittsburgh with a big win last week. They are at home, but they are a two-and-a-half-point dog against Jacksonville. So Jacksonville has won and covered the spread in four straight games. Uh, they're playing really good uh, on the defensive side of the ball, particularly the rush defense is really, really tough to, to run on. Mm-hmm. And Jacksonville's also covered and uh, covered the spread as a favorite or a dog. It doesn't matter. They've covered the spread in road games, eight consecutive road games. So they have been really good on the road. Uh, but there's no better home dog than Mike Tomlin. And this is like the perfect spot for the Steelers to up, like the perfect team to end all those streaks is Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. I think Pittsburgh does 
give the Jaguars a tough time on the O-line. Their D-line will go crazy. And look, the picket to Pickens connection, man, it's it's been rolling. Uh, I'm telling you, I really like that. And fourth quarter is where the Steelers are going to win this game. The Jaguars are giving up the 28th most points in the fourth quarter of anybody in the league. So um, I, I really like I really like Pittsburgh in this spot to to win this game. The Battle of the Meadowlands. <laughs> Two not great teams. <laughs> the Jets no. at the Giants. The Jets are a three-point favorite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sinatra is not going to be singing at this one. No. no. I don't think they can play the New York, New York song here. This, nope. is, this is a little embarrassing in football. Uh I'm going to go Giants yeah. because I, I don't I don't think a I'll say this caveat if Daniel Jones plays I will pick the Jets but <laughs> if Tyrod Taylor plays that's funny if Tyrod Taylor plays give me the Giants that's and funny I think the Giants will win I, I think I think both D lines will dominate but Tyrod Taylor's not going to turn the ball over and let's we cannot let Zach Wilson be a three point favorite against anybody so. Let's go, Giants. You know what? How about how about this? If if the Jets do win this game, they'll be over five hundred seven weeks in without without Aaron Rodgers. Who had just, that? Who, hey, who? just just when they pull you in is when they let you down. <laughs> That's what my good friend Lou Paracone always tells me. He says he's a huge Jets fan. He tells me all the time. He says, "Don't worry, they'll screw it up." So he'll he's 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 ready for the loss this week. Is what you're telling me. Oh, yeah. He saw the whole Rodgers debacle coming and everything. He's been down on the whole thing. All right. Now let's follow up. Green Bay uh, is at home against the Vikings. The Vikings coming off that Monday night performance. The Vikings are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Well, you know, Green Bay, they've lost a bunch in a row. They just lost to Denver. Like, you know, they've lost three games in a row. Like, they are reeling. Minnesota's probably feeling all high after that Monday night win. They're probably feeling good, blah, blah, blah. You know, why not Minnesota, right? No, absolutely not. Give me the Green Bay Packers. This is like taking candy from a baby. You're telling me that, that the Packers are going to be underdogs at home after Kirk Cousins, who does who just all he does is soil himself on Monday night football. <laughs> And and he goes out and beats the best team in the league with no Justin Jefferson. Like, and you think oh, we're going to take them two weeks in a row? Forget it. I mean, Green Bay is going to be hungry. Jordan Love's had his two highest passing yards games at home this season. Uh, I really, I really like the Packers to bounce back here and get a win. I know that they're hurt. Yeah. Um, I think Alexander and Stokes. I'm sorry, not Stokes. Campbell will come back to them defensively. That front is really good. That front is really good. And and the Packers, they're a really bad rush defense, but but the Vikings have like the worst rush def- rushing offense outside of the uh, Raiders in football. So all the all the Vikings are going to want to do is pass it, and I think that's going to be a tough thing to do against the Packers. So I'm going to take the Packers at home, grinding one out. You've taken four out of five underdogs so far, so but I, I think that trend is going to end right now. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland. Let's find out. Cleveland is on the road. They are at Seattle. Uh, it, we, look, it's uh, Deshaun Watson's already been ruled out, and I don't even know if that matters anymore. What a debacle that's turned out to be. But Cleveland is uh, a three-and-a-half-point dog on the road at Seattle. I mean, this is a tricky game because you you got to imagine, like, Seattle's 
not playing great. They won a game They're in Arizona without DK. Yeah, but they, they haven't really played well. You know, like they lost to Cincinnati in a horrible fashion two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Arizona was an easy opponent. They didn't even have DK Metcalf. They kind of, kind of just slept walk through the game and won, which they could do. Um, you know, and now they get Cleveland, whose defense is incredible, but PJ Walker is so bad. However, Cleveland has won both of these games the last two weeks. So I don't know. This is a this is a hard one. I gotta think at some point the regression comes back to earth for Cleveland, and I think that I think that Seattle benefits from that. I, I gotta think Seattle wins this at home. So I, I don't know whether they even cover the number. But Seattle, I think, is going to win this game. This next one is tricky, too. Uh, Cincinnati is at San Francisco. We don't know whether San Francisco is going to have Brock Purdy. Cincinnati is playing better. Cincinnati is a a three-and-a-half-point dog at San Francisco. They are. There's no question. I don't think Purdy is going to play. Um, I think think we're going to have Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, yep. So, so can you believe no, that? So, no, yeah, no, I can't. Um, my, and I know that sounds kind of crazy, but hasn't San Francisco always kind of been about the system? That's what they you know? say. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, kind of what they've been about. And Cincinnati, like that offense is not back. I don't care what you say. I mean, they did not play well two weeks ago in the second half against Seattle. They had one good game against a really bad defense in Arizona. They're they're not anywhere where they need to be, and Joe Burrow's downfield passing is not it. And this is going to be a very angry San Francisco team on a short week against a team off a bye. Like, again, I think Kyle Shanahan is, is going to be an angry play caller in this game and run the ball down Cincinnati's throats and make them stop it. I don't think they can. And I think Joe Burrow's going to have a hard time throwing it down the field. This might be a lower-scoring game, okay? but I do like the 49ers. All right. All right, so we got a couple of favorites there. So four dogs and three favorites. So uh, before I let you get out of here, I have to bring up your Michigan Wolverines again. This uh, this has become a nightmare there. Uh, now there supposedly is evidence that the guy that, uh, that uh, was supposedly stealing the signs actually bought tickets. To, to these games. This doesn't look good for Michigan, does it? Probably not. Uh, again, I think the rule is totally ridiculous because the rule is, you know, again, based off of the fact that teams couldn't afford back in the 90s to, to right. send everybody to these games. Right. Now they absolutely could. However, the rule is the rule. Depending on, you know, Michigan will probably get a much heftier uh, punishment than they deserve. Um, but look, you know what? I don't think it's really going to matter at the end of the day. Like, what are they going to do? Vacate wins? Are they going to be bowl ineligible? Like over the fact that somebody went to a game, like what is the appropriate response to this? Is Jim Harbaugh going to be suspended? Yeah, I think that's, Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's the likely outcome of this. I agree with that. But when is he suspended? (laughs) You know, that's, that's the good, that's the big question. And, this investigation taking place, like how long is the investigation going to take? Is he going to be suspended for a Big Ten championship for an Ohio State game? Like, Oof. you know, Oof. you know, what is it? Yeah. So this could be, and 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 if he is, is that not more motivation for Michigan? 
I mean, like, I, I don't know. So I'm not sure how much this – I think Michigan is heavily insulated, and I think I don't think it's going to affect them on the field, but I do think that Harbaugh is probably going to get the hammer put on him because partially I think because he's not well-liked. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it, and the narrative is what the narrative is. So, yeah, well, we're going to go forward and, you know, press forward, obviously, and – Maybe he does deserve it at the end of the day. I don't know, um, but we'll see what the outcome is. Well, I think at the end of the day, whether he does or not, it's a, it's an, it's an, it's a control thing in that as the head coach, whether he really had knowledge of this or whether he didn't, at the end of the day, you're responsible for what your people do, right? I mean, it, you're, you're 100% right. You know, yeah. And the funny part, I had to laugh because the guy that, got to, that was doing this is it, was a, as a retired captain in the Marine Corps, graduated from the Naval yeah. Naval Academy. So I looked at it this way. He's just looking at it as, hey, I'm a military guy. So what do military people do? We need reconnaissance before we play these games. So he was yeah. attacking it like a military problem. You know, he, I mean, I the think Michigan, it, the, uh, yeah, I just think it's entirely possible that he took this upon himself. But at some point, doesn't somebody have to ask the question, how did you figure this out? You know what I mean? <laughs> He's he's part of the Michigan industrial complex. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. That's that's his that's his job. Uh, who's going to win that? That Ohio State Michigan game is going to be a hell of a game. That Ohio State team is pretty good. They're pretty good. They're good, but I you know I, I see a lot of flaws in that team. I mean Penn State Penn State had them down to was ten six game in the fourth quarter. I mean that offense is not what it was. That quarterback is not what they've been used to and. Maybe they'll figure it out by then, but I, I still got Michigan big in that game. Michigan's plowed through their entire schedule, and I know they haven't really been challenged, but you know it's they haven't been. They have, that's the other thing; they haven't been challenged by any of these teams. So we really need to see them play a quality opponent. We'll see that in a couple of weeks at Penn State. Uh, Dan, what is Liberty doing playing a Tuesday night game? What is that? <laughs> what is that? CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports Network. You can talk to them about an ESPN Plus Bizarre. And, the and all that. It's, that's that's what the conference wants. That's what the conference wants. And hey, doesn't matter. They're eight and out. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get exposure, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. Well, Dan, thanks for a few minutes this morning. Really appreciate it. We will look forward to talking to you next week. Dan, you're the best. God bless. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I hope you all enjoy the uh, World Series start tonight, uh, the first couple of games this weekend, and, of course, uh, NFL games coming up on Sunday, and we'll see how Dan makes out on his picks. Hey, it's uh, Lee Greenwood's 81st birthday today. Uh, of course, best known for the song uh, God Bless the USA, but uh, had a bunch of uh, country hits uh, other than that. So uh, on our way out this morning, here's a little Lee Green one. This is called uh, Dixie Rose. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.